Okay, thank you. Hey, we're continuing in our sermon series today over the summer, looking at how we are called to reframe the way that we think about the world, the way that we see our lives, the way that we interact with other people. How are we called as Christians to reframe everything about our daily living, to reflect the truth of the gospel, to reflect God's calling for us every day through scripture and through the spirit? So we are picking up on another parable today that comes out of Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. It's often called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. I would probably say that it's more uh, aptly titled the parable of the compassionate employer, but you can, uh, you can make up your mind on your own. Let's look at Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. You can look in your own Bibles. You can look on the back of your bulletins. You can look on the screens, or you can just let the words wash over you today. This is Jesus speaking to, uh, to his disciples. And he says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right, whatever is fair. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And then about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, what have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? And they said, because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his supervisor, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, and go on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, They expected to receive more. Not a bad expectation. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Hear that again. You have made them equal to us. But he answered one of them, Friend, am I not being unfair? I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. We better pray. God, we pray that as we approach your scriptures for today, that we will approach with an open heart and with an open mind. We pray, God, that particularly as we come to those places in scriptures where we are familiar, where we feel like we have a handle on what's being said, that your spirit will interrupt and disorientate us to show us some new facet, to show us some new nuance, to show us just yet another another glimpse of your infinite face. Help us to keep the distractions that we have at bay. 
Help us to keep the worries and the to-do lists far from our minds. And allow us the peace to be able to surrender just these few minutes together wholly to you, wholly to the Spirit, and lead us into that transformation that you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Talk amongst yourselves just for a minute. I'm not kidding. How's this? Let's put this here. Mm, let's put this here. So, this morning, I was hoping that you all would be willing to help me with a little exercise in measuring how good of a Christian we are. We're just going to, you know, measure it out like we do normally. So um, we are going to see how we can get higher on this stairway to heaven here, in case you didn't know that that's what it is. It's a stairway to heaven. Uh, Fortunately, I have some people who are willing to help me today. Jenny Jones said that she's willing to help me. Let's hear it for Jenny Jones. And because uh, safety always first, we have the wonderful Andy Lower. So here's how this is going to work, okay? Jenny is our hypothetical Christian for today. I mean, she is a Christian, but she's going to be all of us, all right? And uh, we are going to talk about and imagine some hypothetical circumstances that might be happening in Jenny's life as a Christian. And you all get to determine how many steps up or down she has to take on that stairway to heaven. Are her actions going to bring her up the ladder? and closer to God, where we can all admire her from, above, from below? Or are her decisions and her actions going to bring her down where she is going to be with the rest of us sinners? All right, you ready? You get to decide how many steps. One step, two step, you all set? Are you? Oh, okay, okay, all right. Now, if Jenny goes to church Only on Christmas and Easter and never at any other time. How many steps up does she get to take? Woo! All right, all right. Who says one? Raise your hand. Who says? I mean, it's a very good point, but you're jumping ahead of us here, Todd Edwards. All right, so let's, let's, we'll split the difference. One foot on this step. Now, uh, if Jenny goes to church almost every Sunday, apart from football season and when she wants to sleep in, how many steps does she get to take up? Two. Two. Oh, three. Halfway up. Halfway up. All right. Well, let's go ahead and we'll. What's that? Higher ladder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, okay, we'll do two. Sounds pretty good. Now. If Jenny goes to church every single Sunday without fail, and she never ever misses, which we all know Jenny Jones very rarely misses, how many steps does she get to take up? Or down. She gets to go up and over. 
Well, I mean, we also, safety first, remember, safety first. One more, three, four more steps. Four steps total or four more? Okay, up you go, Jenny Jones. That's correct. <laughs> okay, okay. I know. <laughs> test the, test the uh, fire alarms. All right, so uh, now what about if Jenny Jones goes to church every day, but she never reads the Bible? What happens now? Does she deserve to go up? Does she deserve to go down? Does she stay? Who says stay? Raise your hands. Who says up? Raise your hands. Who says down? Raise your hands. Oh my, all right, down. At least one step down. This, uh, this side over here is a little harsh on you today. What about with after church if Jenny Jones goes out into the courtyard and she starts to gossip with all of her friends? She go up or down? Who says up? Raise your hands. Who says down? Raise your hands. All right, how many steps? Who says one step? Raise your hands. Who says two steps? Raise your hands. Two steps down. All right. I think you just get one, actually. You voted. You get to stay up at least one. What about if Jenny Jones has a kid and she does not bring her kid to church ever? Does she go up or down? <laughs> you are a good Presbyterian, aren't you? A uh, kid is maybe seven. Down off the ladder. All right, Claire. All right, off the ladder. She's going to child protective services. All right, all right, all right. That's right. Obviously, our church. All right, all right. Now, what if the reason why Jenny Jones doesn't bring her kid to church is because her kid is a cancer survivor and is immune compromised? Does she go back up? All right, so we have, we're sort of back where we started. It looks like Jenny Jones is about half a step. I didn't even plan that. That was pretty good. Uh, let's show Jenny Jones and Andy Lower our appreciation for them being able to do this. It is interesting that when we are the ones who are in charge of trying to judge our own merit, when we were the ones who are in charge of trying to see how far, how close to God or how far apart from God Jenny Jones was, that she ended up more or less where she began. And I know that um, having Jenny walk up and down this ladder is sort of a silly exercise. But in terms of an illustration is for what we do each and every single day, Let's hear it for Andy Lower. When we're talking about what we do each and every single day as people, I would imagine that it's not for, too far off of the mental gymnastics that we do inside our heads every single day. I think that most of us at some point in time every day try and assess where we and where others stand. I think most of the time we can get caught up in trying to determine what we or what others deserve depending on how high up or how far down they are on the ladders in our heads, depending on how far up or how low down their choices and their abilities in life propel them. I think that we spend 
a lot of time trying to figure out how much others deserve, how much others are worth, or how much we deserve or how much we are worth. We might not all physically climb up and down a ladder throughout our day, but I would imagine that many of us at multiple times in our week are pushing other people up and down ladders every moment. And if we're not pushing other people up and down those ladders, then we're pushing ourselves up and down those ladders using that meritocracy to try and determine who stands at the top, who is the best. So a meritocracy is the belief that people will gain success or influence or worth as a result of their personal ability and hard work. And our American society really thrives off of the value of a good meritocracy. It's how we're graded in school. It's how we're assessed for a raise or a promotion. It's how some of us even determine our relationships, whether or not we are going to trust someone, whether or not we are going to love someone. Each and every day, we might ask ourselves, hey, has that person earned my trust? Does that person deserve my respect? Does that person, did they work hard enough for that grade or for that job? We ask questions like that all the time. It's the language of meritocracy. And when we're not asking ourselves about other people, then we are often wondering if we are the ones who are missing the mark or if we have worked hard enough to reach the bar. Often we wonder if we have done enough to be worthy of the things that we want in life. And when we feel like we have done enough to get the things that we want, to get what we deserve, then we take issue when we believe that we have gone above and beyond and yet still fall short of what we believe we have coming to us. Am I right? I'm not alone, am I? Raise your hand if you're with me. Thanks. Thing is, our parable today takes open issue with the value and the worth of living by a meritocracy. In our parable for today, all of these workers are invited into the vineyard for work. Some of them work all day, whereas some of them only work for an hour. Most of them, mind you, work somewhere in the middle. Jesus says that the landowner goes out early in the morning and hires people at the very start of the day to work for a full day's wages. The full day's wages back then would have been enough to pay for food for about three to six people for a whole week. So it's not a small amount of money. It's a fair wage. And the landowner then goes out again and then goes out again and then goes out again, goes out five times, bringing in more and more workers into the vineyard and saying each time that he brings them in, except for the last time, that he's going to pay them whatever is right. He's going to pay them whatever is just. And the workers come in and they work. And we probably understand that landowner's promise the same way that they would have understood that promise back in the day when Jesus first told this parable. To be paid justly, to be paid fairly, would mean that more hours of work would equal more pay, and less hours of work would equal less pay. Which is what makes the ending of this parable such a surprise ending, right? Turns out, they're not paid according to the quantity of hours that they labored under the sun. It turns out, 
that they're not even paid by the quality of the work that they submitted at the end of the day. Turns out, turns out that their pay was not determined by them at all, but rather that their pay was only determined by the character of the one who paid them. Verses 13 and 15 are those ones that really are the linchpin, where the landowner responds to that grumbling full-day worker by saying, friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give this one who was hired last the same that I'm giving to you. So don't I have the right to do what I want with the things that belong to me? Or are you resentful, he says, are you resentful because I am generous? And so Jesus in this parable sets us straight. No one, not us or anyone, we do not earn the rewards of the kingdom by our own merit, no matter how hard we try, no matter how early we show up. It turns out, says Jesus, that any rewards that we receive are determined only by the generosity of God's grace. It turns out, Jesus says, that a just pay, that fair pay in the kingdom of heaven is the full wage given to any heart who shows up willing to do the work for any period of time. Turns out that the fair wage was paid. Which means that this is not primarily a parable about the workers. It's not primarily about the vineyard. It's primarily about the landowner. And as we have been talking about throughout the summer and examining in the parables, the point of this parable is not to tell us about humanity's values, which in this case would be the values of the workers who are living by merit, who expect uh, more pay for more work. The point of the parables is not to reaffirm our common sense in the way that our world operates, but the point of the parable is to tell us about God's values in the world and to challenge us in the things that we believe to adhere to what God believes. This parable is not about what we see as common sense. This parable is about a kingdom sense. And in the kingdom of God, being paid what is fair, being paid what is just, is not determined by the merit of the worker. In the kingdom of God, being paid what is just is determined by the generosity of the landowner, by the generosity of grace. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have read this passage in the past, I have often wondered to myself about why the landowner didn't just pay the workers in the order that they have arrived, right? Why did the landowner not avoid all of this grumbling by paying the first person to arrive the, the payment that they had agreed to take and then sending them on their way and they leave happy because they have their full day's wage and then, you know, paying the last person last. No one would have known all the better. The last person would have, but the first person wouldn't. Am I right? Anyone else wonder this with me? Yeah. So then why doesn't he do that? <laughs> As I was thinking about it, I can tell you the only thing I can come up with, and I do honestly believe it's the reason. I believe that the reason the landowner doesn't pay the first workers first and the last workers last is because if he did, then the first workers wouldn't know what the last ones were paid. I think that the landowner did this for the good of those first workers. 
I think that for the landowner and so for Jesus, I think that it was more important for those who came last to know their worth than it was for those who came first to believe that they were worth more. Because my friends, had they left first, had they been paid first and walked away, they would have thought that they were worth more. I think that for the landowner and so for Jesus, it is more important for every person who shows up to know that they stand on the same level as everyone else in God's eyes. And that there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. And so in that sense, it wasn't just for the benefit of the late arrivals that the landowner does this, pays in the order that he does. It was also for the benefit of the first because those first ones who did all that they were supposed to do, who were out and hired early, who had worked hard throughout the day, it was for their benefit to be paid first because even though it hurt and even though it didn't feel good, it showed them that they were indeed of the same worth of everyone else, which meant on the day where they weren't the first people there, they would still be equal in God's eyes. I think that it's a real curse that we can believe that we are more worthy than other people. I think it's a real curse that we can and do seek to find some sort of affirmation by seeing someone else as lesser than. You know, throughout the Bible, God's complete lack of concern for one person's merit over another has driven faithful people batty for centuries. Why was Abel acceptable to God and Cain not? Why was Jacob blessed and Esau not? Why was Saul rejected and David anointed? Why was the prodigal welcome back and the older son was still left out in the field? All throughout scripture, God has absolutely no regard whatsoever for why one person might have earned more merit than another. And even more so, God has no tolerance for people reasoning by comparisons. We see it especially throughout these parables. We've been looking at it throughout the summer. The father of the prodigal son answers similarly to the landowner today, saying in effect, what's it to you if I'm going to be generous with what is mine? God has no tolerance for comparison throughout the scriptures and it drives us nuts. The thing about living by the value of a meritocracy is that it forces us to live by comparison. And there is something really toxic about living in comparison when it comes to the good news, when it comes to the gospel. The gospel and living by comparison don't jive very well and I'm going to tell you why and it's a super simple reason so I hope you're listening. When we live by comparison, when we are constantly looking around us to determine our place and our value and our worth in society, or when we are trying to determine how well we fit in compared to those around us or what more we have to do or what else we have to get rid of, when we do that, we are missing the fact that we are already seen. We are missing the fact that we are already loved, that we are already embraced just as we are by the God who is recklessly generous with grace. When we live by comparison, we miss who we actually are.
And if we are busy comparing others to ourselves and deeming them as coming up short and maybe letting them know about it, then, you know, we are robbing them of that full experience of being embraced by God's love, by God's identity that he gives us as God's children. Friends, it's really tempting to believe that this parable is talking exclusively about distant rewards, about eternal life, talking about the things that we will experience when we are judged after death. It's tempting to believe that somehow we can continue in our human-based merit system, our meritocracies that we set up for ourselves and for others, It's tempting to believe we can continue in that so long as we are on earth and then leave the job of outrageous grace to God after we don't have to deal with one another anymore in the same way. Amen? Oh. It's easy to believe that. It's easy to want that. But we need to remember, my friends, that we are the people who pray all of the time that it might be on earth as it is in heaven. And if those are the, he- the values that are in heaven, then we are the people who are charged by God to be exhibiting those values while we are here on earth. That is what these parables are all about. Making visible God's kingdom to people here and now. And that is what our lives are called to be about. Making visible the kingdom of heaven here on earth which means, my friends, that it really is our job to be the people. When we see, when we feel those ladders that we are going up and down every single day, when we see that we are putting ourselves by comparison en route to others, it's our job to put the ladder down. To be the people who are not uncomfortable by the outrageous grace that God shows and instead to be the people who choose to exhibit that same outrageous grace. I invite you, if you are made uncomfortable by the idea of living outside of a meritocracy, you're not alone. Scares the crud out of all of us. But that doesn't excuse us from the calling that we have to be the people who are generous, recklessly generous, in allowing other people into that full expression of God's love and reminding people that there's nothing, not by their merit, not by their worth, there's nothing that can remove them from the full experience of being God's child. If you will, please join me as we pray. God, we ask that you will open our hearts. We pray that you will help us to be honest with ourselves in the ways that we live by comparison. We are not good judges of where merit belongs, who gets more of what. We know that because all throughout scripture you defy our human understanding of who deserves something and who doesn't. And so release us from that bondage of comparing Help us to be people who are fully content in our identity and our individual calling. And help us to be people who release others 
from the tyrannous walk up and down the ladder by welcoming them into the generous arms of the Spirit that surrounds each of us, that surrounds the people that we love, that surrounds the people nobody loves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.